Philadelphia. Welcome to 2022. Happy New Year, everybody. We got a playoff team to talk about. We got a lot of Sixers content to talk about and digest today. Alex, how you doing, my guy? Man, it just feels good to be recorded, to be back with you, Dave. You're looking good. I think we have a good year ahead. There's definitely a lot to talk about, so I'm ready to get it rolling. Yeah, I'm looking at you. The people can't see today. We're going to start up a YouTube channel here soon, but you got a great uh, great merch here. You got a nice bank statement hat. Um, we're going to be rolling that out here hats, for people. Bank statement hats are out, just so everyone knows. Uh, they are high-quality hats. Shout out to 47 Brands, and uh, we have full intentions of sending them to our top viewers. If you are listening to this, there will be a random moment during this pod where we'll give a key word. And if you are able to uh, send us a message, either myself directly, Dave directly, or maybe send it to our Instagram account. If you send the keyword, there will be a hat in the mail on your way. I'm not gonna say it's gonna come at the end. I'm not gonna say it's gonna come soon, but that keyword will come. And the keyword will be bank statement merch, which is three keywords. So there's gonna be three keywords that come your way. And if you message that to us, there will be a free hat coming your way. There we go. Wow. Hot item here to start off 2022. We got a lot to talk about, man. I mean, this has been a tumultuous year in Philadelphia sports. As we look back at it, you have, you know, the Eagles. I feel like the entire fan base hasn't really been locked in on this team uh, from the jump. They're not really locked in on Sirianni from the press conference, not really locked in on Hertz and his arm talent. Just a huge debate there. We have Ben Simmons. We'll get into that. Uh, the biggest villain in Philadelphia sports history. Um, but it feels good. I think the, the thing that feels great right now is we got a playoff game here in a couple of weeks. And, you know, the biggest thing to talk about as it relates to the Eagles, and that's kind of where we can start the show is do they play their starters this week? And how do you look at preparing for whatever first round matchup comes their way here in, in the playoffs? Well, obviously, that's the right way to open it up. And also, let me just make a disclaimer that if the audio uh, isn't coming through crystal clear, uh, that's something we're going to reevaluate and, uh, and make sure we correct. So please just stick with us through this episode. But uh, I'm glad you asked. Yeah, there's a number of, of key members and, and other members who could potentially be key that are on the COVID list. And I think this is something that's not just going to impact the Eagles, but other teams as well. So it's to be expected, but it does affect week 18. And so to your point, the question becomes, do we play these guys? Do we not? My initial take is the, uh, the older guys, the key guys, the Kelsey's and the Fletcher Cox's and, and maybe even Dallas. I mean, those are the three big names on the COVID list right now. I don't think it necessarily hurts to sit guys, uh, not necessarily because of COVID, but using that as a means to get guys who might benefit from a week of rest with rest. Um, you know, we kind of know where we're at. I, I am not 100% privy to what the seating would be given a win or a loss for both us and the Cowboys. I know we're in the playoffs and I know we have a high probability of playing Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Uh, it looks like that's probably our most likely matchup. So if it means that this is a good way for us to give a couple guys like Kelsey and Cox some rest, then, then I'm all in on it. I, I think that could be done even with some of the guys that might not be under COVID protocol um, that could benefit. Yeah, I think this is a tricky one for me. I agree with some things you say. And, and in when I think about my ideology when it comes to this, I would agree that when you have an opportunity to ranch, rest your starters, especially key players, you do it. Um, you have an opportunity to get healthy here going into 
of a playoff matchup. However, I think when you look at one of the big knocks on this team, it's who they've played. You know, they're, they're playing quarterbacks like Jake Fromm and, um, you know, Trevor Simeon and Taylor Heineke and guys like that. And one of the big knocks is, is this run legitimate? Because you have a team that starts out as horrible as the Eagles started out, let's face it. And then they have this great run down the stretch where they've won six of their last seven and so on and so forth. So when you look at it from that perspective, I think you have the opportunity to accomplish a couple of things. If you do play your starters this week, one is you can get to 10 wins. Um, and I think getting the 10 wins, double digits in Nick Sirianni's first year um, and just for this team in general is a, a great achievement above and beyond what they've already done. I think the other thing is Dallas has come out and said that they're going to play their starters. So, so long as that holds yeah. true, now will that happen? I don't know. But so long as that holds true, you have the opportunity to face a real test here going into the playoffs. You win that game, that gives your team and that gives this playoffs an entirely new outlook. That gives this season legitimacy in a lot of ways, even if it is a game that's it's not meaningless. I mean, both teams can benefit from seeding and whatnot, but it's relatively meaningless, right? I mean, there's, there's benefits to resting your starters here as well. But the flip side of that, too, is if you come out against Dallas and you get demolished, like a lot of the fan base seems to think is going to happen here in the playoffs against a good quality opponent, it allows your coaching staff to look at it and reassess going into the playoffs as well. So to me, you're not a good enough team at this stage in the game to rest your starters. Again, in most situations, I would say to do it. In this case, let's go get a win. I really think that would that would carry the momentum forward, and I think it would do this team a whole lot of whole lot of good. I don't think anything bad can come out of it. And obviously you're rolling the dice on an injury, but in this particular well, that's instance, the question. That's the question because a lot of the NFL playoffs is still very much the money. I've always been a believer of any given Sunday, you know, and I think any team could beat anybody on any given Sunday. And a lot of what history says in the NFL and especially the playoffs is momentum can carry a team past the first round and deeper into the playoffs. So naturally, with how much we've, you know, we've won the past, is it two straight? We lost, we lost three weeks ago to the Washington football team. So we've won two straight. Uh, we have correct? won, we have won three straight. We've won Washington Giants, Washington. And then we lost to the Giants before that. And prior to that, we have two wins as well. Okay. So, so the momentum thing is real. Um, and, and I definitely do believe in that. I guess the, what you weigh in terms of pros and cons is, is it better for that extra rest for those certain guys and potentially kind of, you know, conceding a loss or is it better to ride that win momentum and risk the injury? So in your opinion, what I'm getting from you is that you rather would, would ride that win momentum. For this team, right? I mean, you're looking at a team that every, every team above 500 that they played this year, I think the saints actually might be at 500 now, but saints aside, and they even played the saints with Trevor Simeon. Every team with a winning record this year, they've taken an L and they've taken a fat L. Like It's not like they've been close in these games. And I think when you look at this particular coaching staff, they're the youngest in NFL, like in NFL history to combine and put together. So there's a lot of youth all over. You have Jalen Hurts in his first full year starting. If those guys can come together and play a really solid team heading into the playoffs, Again, obviously, if Miles Sanders can play, they didn't rule him out yet, I wouldn't play him. Guys like that that are, you know, they're battling some sort of an injury, don't be dumb about it. But at the same time, go into this week and approach it like you still have something to prove. Because the other thing, to your point, is if you can carry that momentum forward, there's growth that takes place in a win like that. Um, and, and I do think that that's worth it. It's, it's a catch-22. In this instance, I say play him. 
There is, I, I, I'm on the other side of the coin and a point you just made kind of advocates where I come from, where I truly think the rest for some of these key guys is huge, especially because, you know, someone like Kelsey is a game changer and it's cool to be in a Philadelphia fan base. I don't know many, how many fan bases out there like value the center position the way we do because of what our center does for us. A lot, and most teams don't get that. So a, I write it from the perspective of I want these guys to get rest, but B, you mentioned we got the youngest coaching squad. So yeah. I am of the mindset that it might be beneficial knowing that we are more than likely going to play the Buccaneers to basically put a two-week game plan together against the Buccaneers rather than one week versus the Cowboys, one week versus the Bucs. Now, I know it's the NFL, so the team's not just going to lay over. We're not going to take a 56-point loss to the Cowboys, but I almost feel it's more beneficial to just go all in for two weeks from now, especially because this is going to be our third game in 12 days. Yeah. So who do you want? Do you want the Bucks or do you want LA? I mean, those are the two, by far the two most likely opponents. Here. I don't want to touch LA. There are a couple of teams where I've said, I've said off, off cast these days that I don't want to face, but ultimately if we're going to, if we're going to do this, we're going to have to face, you know, the teams. L.A. is a team that I personally predicted earlier in the season would go to the Super Bowl. I want the Bucs. We played the Bucs earlier. The Bucs kind of got lazy on us, so they made it probably more of a competitive game than it should have been. But everything going on with them, I mean, there's not, a, there's not as much post-game news out of the locker room from Tampa Bay as I thought there would be, which tells me they're hiding a lot, which tells me that things are not going well. So I, I like playing the Bucs and I like getting in the mindset today to prepare for the Bucs because I, again, it, all of this stuff of what happens this week and who wins and who loses will lead to who plays who. I can't keep up with it. I've tried to ask you a million times, Hey, what are all the scenarios? And it's like pretty impossible to keep up with. But I want to go in with the mindset we're going to play the Bucs and I want to start preparing for them now because of all the teams, that, that, that's the team I think we can play. It's hard to beat a team twice in the same season. I know Tom Brady in the playoffs is different, but I'd rather start getting ready for that today. Yeah, I mean, it is likely going to be the Bucs. And to be frank with you, I agree actually completely. I mean, you look at the Bucs, Chris Godwin is far and away, in my opinion, their best wide receiver. He's out, um, unfortunately for him and them. I, I love Chris Godwin a guy I would like the Eagles to look at here in the offseason should he become available. Um, now you have everything going on with Antonio Brown. I think what people aren't realizing is, you know, if if what Antonio Brown said happened on Sunday, I don't know if you saw this, but if what he said happened on Sunday is actually true, I have a really hard time believing that that's going over 100% well in the locker room. Um, a player is this said that he's he was hurt. about to get a bonus? Are you saying uh, what I heard no. is he was about to get a bonus and they stopped him from it? Yeah, so since know. then, so since then, Glazer kind of came out and he was basically like, A.B., they tried to put him in the game. A.B. said, no, coach, I'm hurt. My ankle's hurt. I can't go in there. And they said, get in there anyway. And he said, no. And they basically caught him mid-game. Now, do I take the team side or I take Antonio Brown's side? I mean, I don't know. It's hard to argue when a guy says he's hurt. His track record comes into play. And also the fact he's doing jumping jacks going off the field probably didn't help his case of my ankle's too hurt to play. Um, <laughs> but – but at the same time, if a player is saying I'm too hurt to go into a game and the coach is basically saying, F you, you have to go in there, I don't think that goes over very well with other NFL players in the locker room. 
So regardless, he's not on the team either. And you're going to have basically Brady throwing Evans and Scotty Miller. Um, and their defense also isn't that good. And I, and I agree. What about Gronk? Like, I mean, Gronk's a good player. He's still a good player. He's, I think, I think. But he's still a much he's better team. than Scotty Miller. They still have Gronk. And Gronk, I mean, you know, especially in the playoffs, Gronk is going to score, you know, he's going to score a touchdown minimum in a playoff game. They, they still have Gronk, but you're missing three of your key offensive players. I mean, Fournette right now is out. They're saying he's going to come back. We'll see. Their defense also isn't of the caliber of the Rams. The only thing that gives you confidence with the Rams is Stafford's out here throwing pick sixes. I mean, you or I could get a pick six on Matt Stafford right now. And he doesn't have the playoff yeah. experience, and he's not the GOAT. Me, me, me more than you. I, I probably yeah. have a higher chance than you. Yeah, COVID wasn't too kind for me in that regard. I'm not that fast these days. but um, yeah. And I have know, hands. I, I got hands. You got hands? You might, you might have little hands. Um, so Best hands look, on, the, agree, on the podcast. I think I'll challenge you. We'll have to have a showdown. We'll hit the field. We'll get the Ooh. jugs machine going. Oh, got him. Okay. Nope. Oh, oh. I, I just it. I just picture a world. We play LA. We fly out there too. The other aspect is you have to fly all the way across the country. And I just picture Odell Beckham Jr. and Cooper Cup just eating all day long. You know, yeah, Aaron Donald in Jalen Hurts' kitchen all day long. Like it that just doesn't. I don't know. So I, let me ask you I, I'm not comfortable there. Let me ask you this. If, if, so your point right now is let's get this win against the Cowboys. Let's ride in with momentum. My point is let's take two weeks to prepare for the Bucs. If it were the flip side and we had a 95% chance of playing the Rams first round, would you change your tune and say, let's dial it back against the Cowboys and prepare harder for the Rams? No, see, I the thing I don't think so. I mean, I think this team's got to process no matter what. You got to put in a game plan and you got to put in an install there. And to be honest, at this stage, they still kind of got to prepare for both. They can't just go all in preparing for one or the other. They don't know who they're playing quite yet. They still could play Arizona or Dallas. It's not likely. I mean, they're in all likelihood they will be playing Tampa Bay. My point is, you have to take into account the quality of opponent. Yes, they can only play who's on the schedule. I'm not discrediting what they've done. I think what they've done has been amazing. Um, and I do think, I mean, they have the best running attack in football. Jalen Hurts is making throws he didn't make four or five, six weeks ago. He's a different quarterback. Nick Sirianni's grown as a, co- a coach. Jonathan Gannon, I'm not a big fan, but they're not giving up a lot of points right now either. We'll see how that translates to an actually good offense when they play it. But my point is the quality uh, of the opponent. Uh, Dave, you, you, you and I were texting this past weekend, and you were very out on the defense. I am out on the defense. You don't put that on Gannon? I do put that on Gannon. What I'm saying is their act, their output as a defense right now has actually been pretty good. I think that's much more about the quality of opponent that they're playing and they're about to get exposed, but that's, Fair. we got to wait and see. I mean, they gave up Fair. 16 points on Sunday. That's, that's crazy low in the NFL. I don't care who you're playing. There's so there's multiple games this year where they've given up under 20 points. I mean, that's elite defense in the NFL. Now, do I think that that's going to hold up and do I think that's going to be legitimate? Absolutely not. But, you know, that's that's what we have to see. But my point to that is you have to find that out at some point, right? Like you have to you have to go through it. And the team's not good enough right now. We're not talking about a Super Bowl contender. And so with that, beating a team like the Cowboys, and, and a lot of this depends on if Dallas plays their guys, right? Like it has to be a legitimate game. And in a lot of ways, it might not be. So my point might be moved. But what I'm saying is if you beat a legitimate team at this point in the season, you take a level of growth 
to where all of a sudden we're not just talking about can the Eagles win a game in the playoffs? And we're thankful for them getting there. Now we're talking about, hey, we got the number one rushing attack in the league. We're drastically better for where we were earlier. You know, when you beat a team 33 to 18 like the Jets or 40 to 29 like the Saints or 44 to 6 the Lions, those drubbings become more legitimate. You go into the Denver and beat them 30 to 13. Like now it's like, okay, yeah, you played a bad team, but you crushed them. And now that's legitimized. And you can do that now two weeks sooner or a week sooner, I should say, before the playoffs. That's my whole point. So what does it do to your hope then if, if we got Cowboys, Eagles, full rosters, everybody ready to go. Cowboys obviously dominated the division and we lose that game by seven points. What does that do for your confidence level going into the first round of the playoffs? Um, my, I'm just in wait and see mode with this team. I'm in enjoy the ride mode with this team regardless. We lose the game Sunday or Saturday. We win the game Saturday. It, depend, it really is a lot of situational. Like Dallas goes out there and plays everybody. We lose the game by seven. We play hard. You, you can make the argument of, okay, like they hung in there. They played well. Um, there's some more optimism going into the following week. You could also make the argument the game didn't really mean that much. Um, that's where a lot of this is situational to how it plays out and who Dallas plays and who they don't play. Um, I'm in wait and see mode. And and this is all, this is all the icing on the cake for me at this point. Give me your, uh, give me your uh, offensive and defensive MVP of the season. Real quick. I want to go through this really quickly because I don't think people realize the defense gets a lot of flack. The defense gets a lot. No, I want to, I want to listen. I want to give my answer to the question, but this defense is getting a lot of hate and I am not a Jonathan Gannon guy. I will say that on record. You were part of the hate. Well, I mean, Jonathan Gannon, I'm a hater and their personnel is not great either, but listen to how many games they've given up. And I'm curious to look at another team and kind of see how this stacks up. It's unheard of to me in the NFL. How many games have given up under 21 points? We have at the Falcons, they beat them 32 to six. That's one. The 49ers game we lost, Great we game. only gave up 17 points. Yeah, that was a phenomenal game. Very fun. Only give up 17, that's two. At the Panthers, we only give up 18 points. That's three. Lions, we gave up six points. That's four. At the Broncos, 13 points. That's five. At the mm-hmm. Giants, 13 points. That's six. At that's the Jets. Crazy. 18 points, that's seven. Washington, 17 points, that's eight. Giants, 10 points, that's nine. Washington, 16 points, that's 10. So in 10 games this season, this defense, for which is maligned, and we hate the style that they play, and they make bad quarterbacks look like great quarterbacks, and they make great quarterbacks look like their Hall of Fame can't stop in quarterbacks. Ten games, they have held their opponent to under 21 points, actually under 20 points. That's that's, that's insane. That's insane, that's man. Yeah. Um, so didn't mean to jump your question, but but I do think – and that, no, that was where I, I was coming there, from. I mean, but I know a, a lot of this, you know, it, it kind of re- reminds me of the doc question from Keith Pompey about, you know, beating – bad teams by a lot this that the other I mean there's no doubt the Eagles have been blessed by their schedule this year so I think it's a moot point to argue you know win difference in terms of points 
because um, we are we, we're dealing with what we're dealing. So you're saying, you know, that you would have a lot more confidence if we were beating better teams going into the playoffs. But we were always going to play these teams. And there's no there's no doubting the fact we had an easy schedule. And this was a sure. season where where we needed it. But that's why I ride the any given Sunday, John, into the playoffs. Like, you know, co- confidence is confidence. And, and you, you beat who you beat. So the win differential sure. thing doesn't mean that much to me. They um and they also rank, at least according to this ranking right here, they rank 13th overall in defense right now. And again, I'm not a huge fan of Gannon. I think the style he plays is whack. Um, I I subscribe to the Seth Joyner logic a lot of times with this, but it'll be interesting to see what they can do here, um, against a a better opponent. Uh, but I agree. I think the Keith Compe comp is is a good one there. Um, you can control who you can control. To answer your question, so offensive and defensive MVP for the Eagles, I think these two are pretty easy, and I think most people would agree. Um, I think Jason Kelsey just holds the thing together. In those moments where he's off of the field, the offense doesn't look like they're in sync at all at times, Um, and he's just been such a leader for that squad. I think there's a couple close seconds, um, but I think he's he's right up there. And then obviously Darius Slay has just been phenomenal, um, holding down really – He's been the best cornerback in football in my estimation this year. Um, wish he had some more turnovers to to get him the credit that, that he's up. deserved. Yeah. Yeah, like that's what people look at. Yeah, I mean, you look at a guy like Diggs who gets burned every other play but has a bunch of turnovers. And everybody's like, he's I awesome. saw that today. I, I saw something today that was talking about how actually Diggs is the most overrated player because he has so many picks because he gets thrown at more than everybody because it more than his picks, he's actually just giving up yards. I, I didn't realize that. Yeah. And I, I mean, look, there's something to be said too, for the fact that you're going to give up. So I remember Sante Samuel was a guy that might give up a couple, couple bigger plays than he needed to a lot, little bit more yards than he'd like, but you're also going to make the game changing interception. Like there's something to be said for that. I'm not saying the guy stinks, but people look at the interception and it's gaudy and it's beautiful and it's nice and it's fun. Darius Slay is just locking people down right now. Um, and, and that's really cool to see. And I think he's really, he's really holding up the defense. Yeah. I, uh, my, my, my MVPs are identical. Hot take, fun take to listen to. We, we agree exactly on that. Kelsey kind of has that effect, uh, that Embiid effect where he goes down and, and, and you hold your breath. And yeah. it's happened a couple times this year. And they're, you know, the only other guy I could think of on the offense that I would equate the same thing to were the only other two guys would be Goddard and Devontae. Yeah, I don't think Devontae's quite there yet. I, I, I'm with you on Goddard. I'd say Lane, man. And and this is something I've been wanting to talk about for a while. And he's come out and he's talked about it, not making the Pro Bowl. I have no idea how in the hell this guy's not even a Pro Bowl alternate. Um, check out some of these stats, right? So Lane Johnson didn't even allow a pressure on Sunday. Get this. He's up to 416 passing snaps without giving up a sack. He's that only given up. He, that means the guy lined up head to head with him is now attacking people, correct? Correct. Yeah. It's the guy he is current. He is blocking, did not sack the quarterback. He's only allowed one quarterback hit. So Jalen Hurts only got hit one time this year from a guy that was coming off of a Lane Johnson block. He has the highest pass block win rate in the NFL, 95%. And he's the second best pass block efficiency at 98.6%. I mean, how how is this guy not a pro bowler? I have no idea. 
He's playing at an all pro level. It's insane. They do they they do alternates on the Pro Bowl. That's already a thing. So there's already yeah. a list of guys. If someone, I did not know that. Jalen Hurts is one. He's an alternate in the Pro Bowl. He's do they alternate. tier them? So like, does Hurts need like two guys to go down for him to be in the Pro Bowl? They do. They do tier them. I'm not sure exactly where he ranks. He'll probably. I mean, you'll probably get in there. It's like somebody's going to opt out, then somebody's going to be in the Super Bowl, right? It's usually how it works. Or so, yes. Okay, fair. But still, I mean, it's I an honor to be that. listed. The NBA one. doesn't do that. Yeah, and, and look, I understand Lane missed some time this year, but to be quite honest with you, that almost makes us more impressive. I mean, when you look at what he actually went through uh, to the point to where it caused him to miss, I think he missed, what, four games? And to have the type of season, he's playing the best football he's ever played. It's, it's remarkable, and I think it's an absolute mockery that he's not getting the recognition he needs. And I hope he wins all pro because I don't, I don't think there's a better tackle in football right now. Are we surprised if uh, Sirianni goes completely the opposite of what your preference would be and he plays Minshew and plays a bunch of no-name guys, maybe, maybe gets Rager, uh, you know, 15 targets a game to try and prove if he can actually be relevant in the play? Would it surprise you if he just completely kind of dumps it? No, and to be honest, to be honest, you can make a case that I am completely in the wrong. Like my take on this is not strong enough to where it's like I'm right. Quite frankly, the logic tells me that I'm wrong. I'm going off of my my gut instinct on what's better for this team. The one guy that I will say I'll be furious if they don't play this entire game is Jalen Rager. Like if anything, that guy needs to have 20 targets. <laughs> he needs to literally do anything possible to try to get him confidence. At this point, it's clear to me he's not it. I think it's clear to anybody that has two eyes. Uh, It's not it. It's clear to our friend. It's clear to our friend Steve's newborn son. It's not it. Like Uh, hot takes by Rhett. Hot takes by Rhett. We're gonna have to get Rhett on the pod soon. We will. But you know, I part. You saw. I told you last week. I put a twenty spot on uh, Rager to score a touchdown. It was his birthday. You know, he hadn't been in the end zone in a while. People been hating, and then obviously he just came out and was Jalen Rager. So yeah, so that was uh, that was twenty bucks down the hole. My one other, uh, my only other Eagles point on the day, and I know this, we've been trying to be intentional about sticking to the the playoffs and what's in front of us, and not taking a holistic approach to this team yet. Is you know how big of a, I would I don't even call it big of a Howie guy because I understand some of his mistakes. Like it's very obvious he made a horrific pick in Jalen Rager. It's very obvious that JJ Arthur Whiteside was horrific also. Yeah, I'm often talking about that, but we all know it. But w- but what this guy's done consistently, I mean, I saw a stat the other day. The Eagles are fifth since Jeffrey Lurie took over the team in terms of winning seasons um, and playoff appearances. It, it, it's insane. And Howie Roseman's played a big role in that. And you look at from where he's taken this team with the reduction in salary cap they had to take because of Carson Wentz, um, with a brand-new head coach, young coaching staff, this team went from – abysmal last season we thought this would be a tear down year they're in the playoffs he not only got Devonte smith he got Devonte smith plus a first round pick for that pick last year and we have two other first round picks this year i mean there's there's multiple things you can point to to where he has really made solid moves jordan mylotta josh sweat dallas goddard not even drafting these guys but also extending them to contracts that are pretty team friendly when you look at how they're performing against them. I mean, yes, he has his flaws for sure. 
But I think when you look around the league and you look at a lot of the other decisions that are there, I think it is extremely wrong to define this guy because of two wide receivers he didn't take. I think that's just – I think it's extremely misguided. You have always been, of all people I've ever spoken to, the biggest Howie supporter out there. I would, I would love to get a guest on, on the pod one of these days of, of one of the Howie haters and, and watch the two of you duke it out. Because I do think you make valid points that the issue with Howie is his his hits, the ones you mentioned, fly under the radar, probably at a disservice to him and his career, and uh, and his misses are just so glaring. And the two, the, there's the same two that come up all the time. And I just said I'm I'm tired of talking about. I'm tired of talking about. You know, if we had Metcalf and if we had Justin Jefferson, but yeah. you know, I did see a stat. Justin Jefferson playoff appearances? <laughs> Zero. Skull, yeah, baby. playoff appearances, one. All right? Why do, so, I, why, do I, why do I feel like Minnesota's in our division, man? It feels great to see them knocked out. Like, I hate them. I almost hate them more. like that. It feels like they, they are like our, our sixth man, our, or what do you call it, 12th man <laughs> in football. It feels like not only are we always, had to, you know, in competition with them, but they're always looking to help us out. Yeah, they're like our little brother that would be bully. It's like we not only pummel them in the NFC Championship, but we win the Super Bowl in their house. It's yeah, yeah I don't know. They know. They're, they're we, know we don't kind of harp on it. They know. No. They know. Yeah. Um, in the spirit of easy schedules, um, yeah. talking about ours, uh, I'm going to transition. Because you know I'm all about talking Sixers. Listen to the, this lineup we got coming up tomorrow, Orlando. After that, San Antonio. After that, we got Houston again. Then we got Charlotte. And then we got Boston. So, you know, we're on a hot streak right now for the Sixers. I am on a, on a high. Embiid has turned into Embiid. And is back, baby, player of the month for December. And uh, it, I have a newfound optimism. Uh, it, it's the, the roller coaster that I've had on the Sixers was in the first couple games of the season, the topic was Ben. And I was telling you, holy shit, we're a better team without Ben. Look at what we're doing. But that was also when Furkan Korkmaz was looking like Ray Allen. So, you know, we dipped after that, and, and now we're, we're back in. And, and I am very much in – I will speak in superlatives of the current state of the team. So right now I think we're the best team in the league. And uh, I think we got five games that are going to help improve that. I also think, you know, this is a toss-up type of season. But I think it's interesting to take a look at the outlook and to look at the past couple games and to feel very good about where we're at. I couldn't disagree with all of that more. Um, <laughs> I, I couldn't that. disagree with all that more. And I, just for the record, I want to I just point out that – I want to point out two things. First of all, Alex's obsession with Furkan Korkmaz is well-documented. Yeah, it's well documented in our circles, and I think it's it almost had him kicked off the pod. I almost had to go look elsewhere. It's part of our hiatus. Well, yesterday I almost got kicked off the pod by the fake Woj tweet. <laughs> yeah, was that was rough. tough. Yeah, that was tough. Uh, the other thing that I've noticed with Alex, particularly about the Sixers, and I do this with the Eagles. I don't think I do it quite as much as he does with the Sixers. He's extremely emotional to where, um, to to where they are in the season. Um, and, and the reactions are as such, like he, he will go into despair when they are in a, a tough couple of games here. What, the what reason why though, but what, what, but what about that separates me from everybody else? You know, we're down nothing. by one I, at the half of Houston and the fans are booing 
and then we win and we're cheering. So I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with everybody else. What's the difference? I don't, I don't have an issue. Everybody else watching these games. I, I appreciate your passion. My issue is when you make a comp of Ray Allen to Furkan Korkmaz, who more often than not steals money from this town, going zero for nine in twenty minutes on the floor, looking like a turnstile on defense. I mean, it's the guy's a bum. Like it's okay. I wish he was good. I wish you okay. Well, do you do you you think this team will win playoff games? Because if they're gonna win playoff games, he's gonna be a factor. This is why I disagree with you, and I am um, I am negative Nelly. I'm in the valley of despair. I am doom and gloom when it comes to the Philadelphia 76ers because I think we're on the precipice of purgatory, and it scares the living daylight out of me. Joel Embiid. When did that start for you? When did that start? The press because I, I because w- when Simmons started to sabotage the team when we lost in the playoffs last year, that's how I felt. And then when we started hot this year, I was as optimistic that we were, you know, I was wrong. So when did this precipice of purgatory mentality start for you? It started when I'm looking at who we can potentially trade Ben Simmons for. So here's my issue with the Sixers, and I, I've made this. This is documented. I've been saying this for forever. Joel Embiid is transcendent. He is an unbelievable basketball player. He is a treasure to our city. And he is, he's amazing. Like very easily could go down as the best Sixer in NBA in Sixers history. Not there yet. Could get there. Like he is amazing. The issue is he plays the position of center. So if Joel Embiid is a point guard, if he's Steph Curry, if he's a LeBron James type player, it positionally, right? You can mask a lot of what this team's issues are. He is a center, and he's your primary scorer. So that has been the issue from day one. And it's masked because you had a phenomenal defender and facilitator in Ben Simmons who was highly athletic. You take Ben Simmons off this team, there's no athleticism. There's no really prim- there's no leadership on the offensive end of the floor in terms of a point guard mm-hmm. to really dictate the offense. You're, you're going too far. Max is a scorer. He's a, he's a two guard. They're trying to make yeah, it. You think leadership guard. on offense, though. Embiid will be a leader on offense no matter I, what team he gets on. I mean, I mean, leading the offense in terms of not leadership intangibly. I mean, you're physically leading them the final two minutes set. of a game. You're taking the final two minutes of a game and, and maximizing that to, to the, the potential the, of a team. But their, but their issues for years have been perimeter scoring. And really what took me to the precipice of purgatory, to answer the question and get back to that, it's when I realized Dan Miller doesn't want to come here. It's when I realized Bradley Beal is, for whatever reason, comfortable being a loser in Washington. And we're talking about getting De'Aaron Fox for Ben Simmons, and that is, like, on a good day. That is, like, to me – where I I'm falling off this team very hard and it's not the team's fault. It's if they don't find a way to cash in this asset, I don't really know what the future holds. Now, look, there's a guy like Bradley Beal is going to be free agent next year. Can we go get him? I don't know. Tobias is in, it's in He's going through a, one of the hardest stretches I've ever seen a player go through. And it looks like he's not going to get out of it anytime soon. He's incapable well, he's of the role that's assigned. stepped up. He actually, statistic-wise, and this is why, you know, you and I have debated the impact of stats for a long time, because statistically, Tobias has actually stepped up recently. But Tobias, his 
his impact on the team is established. It's not going anywhere. It's not going up or it's not going down. He, he doesn't help us win. When the, team, when the team is injured, when the team is out on COVID and Tobias is the guy, and he will never win a game. So He's a role I player. am forever out on that bum. Yes, Tobias is, He's a, role is player. a bum. Talk about what happened. We'll talk about what he did last night. Yeah, that, that's the first time it really rubbed me the wrong way. And to be honest, I think there's a mentality on this team. You see it with Danny Green. You see it with, uh, obviously, Ben Simmons. And now you see it with Tobias Harris. And it's weird because it doesn't exist with Doc, I don't think. It doesn't exist with Joel. Like, it doesn't exist with Maxi, But it exists with these guys to where Tobias, um, you know, you, you guys probably have all seen the video. Tobias makes a shot and the crowd cheers. Well, earlier in the game, he was – I mean, he's missing layups, man. Like, you're the most highest-paid player on the team. You're missing layups. The crowd starts to get fed and up. We were losing to Houston. And yeah. we were losing at the half to Houston without two of their three best players who would be two of, like, the three most average players on any other team. So that doesn't mean that much. But we were losing. And so they, they got booed. The way any team in Philly would get booed. So when we clapped for Tobias, what did he say? They, he cursed. And he said, he said don't, said, don't fucking clap. clap. Yeah. He said, don't fucking clap. That and, to and me look, is man. like, all right, dude, you're done. You're done. You're in the middle of the game being sensitive because you made your first basket, and now you're mad yeah. at that, that they're – you know, get out of here. It's, get out of here. It's soft. It's soft. And I agree with you 100%. I think it's, I think it's incredibly soft. But I want to challenge my, my you. I want to challenge you. What? I want, I want to challenge you because this MB thing of, of the center position argument that comes from you and other talking heads out there in the Philadelphia fan base, uh, it, 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 you guys base this opinion off the last two minutes of games, which obviously is our biggest hole. And the reason it's so glaring is because outside of last night, where I think we won by 20, the Sixers win games by four points or less, or they lose games by four points or less. So that is where it comes into play. Yes, is it a hard, hard thing to have your best player on offense be the center when you need a bucket with 10 seconds left on the clock? Absolutely. So, yes, we need help in that standpoint. But to say we can't win when our best player and the leader of the offense is not a true captain of the offense. He is the best leader of the offense. Building the offense around Embiid is a beautiful thing. He makes everybody go. We just don't have the guy. And if we could trade Simmons for many guys who have less all-star game appearances than Simmons who fix that problem, who fix the problem of giving us confidence at the end of the game when there's 10 seconds left and we need a bucket. Because at the end of the day, Embiid, if you double him, you know, it, you, there's a lack of confidence on who to go from there. My second guy I want to go to is Steph Curry, and that is a problem. That is a problem. And I'm a Steph Curry fan. But I think it's unfair to say we'll never win with Embiid being the main guy. I just think the secondary guy and the whole way this team has been built has been built around Ben Simmons who is not a secondary guy. We just need to get rid of Simmons and get a secondary guy. That's it. Yeah, I think your definition of a secondary guy, though, is a little bit lower than mine. I think mine, to be honest, is very equal to Daryl Morey's. Yeah, no matter who you bring in here, unless if you bring in Stephen Curry, Embiid's the best player, or Kevin Durant, Embiid's the best player on the team. Like, that is, that's a thing, right? But I think where Wait, we get for a little... You bring in Kevin Durant with Embiid? What are you saying? I'm saying Kevin Durant's the best player on the team. Okay. Well, yeah, Kevin Durant's the best player in the NBA. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying if you bring in Bradley Beal, Joe Embiid's the best player on the team. Yeah, anybody besides Steph Curry, 
But if we bring in Brad Beal and Embiid's still the best player on the team, are you telling me this team doesn't win? No, what I'm saying is you need – you can have your secondary guy, but your primary scoring option needs to be that guy. You you can't trade baskets in the playoffs. When's the last time a team without a primary scorer on the wing of some sort won the NBA Finals? Led by a center. I would argue the Raptors. Leonard? Yes, you cut, you cut out there. I think you said Kawhi Leonard. I don't think Kawhi Leonard is defined as a primary scorer in the way that you're thinking of what your argument I, is. is I'm saying, I am saying a guy who is not a center leading you in the last five minutes. You're trading buckets with a Kevin Durant-type player. The center position is not built for that. The last center to really be a centerpiece on a championship team is the Heat with um, Shaquille O'Neal. The other comp that you can go with, it's a really big outlier if you look at NBA Finals appearances and champions, are the 11 Mavericks with Dirk. Like, that's probably your closest comparison. And it was one time, and the league has evolved from there. Um, That's probably your closest comparison. Dwight Howard's Orlando Magic is a close second, and they didn't win, but they got there. I think they actually got swept, but they had elite shooting all around them. They had Rashad Lewis, AD Turkoglu. You had a really good point guard, Jameer Nelson, right? So, but I'm just making the point of, and yes, Embiid is a better center than, I don't know, he's really a better center than either one of them, especially offensively. I'm just saying today's NBA, with where it's evolved, you don't have that Dame Lillard, Bradley Beal. I'm hesitant to put Jalen Brown in that mix, but I'll put him in there for the sake of this conversation. If Jalen Brown is on our team, your team changes, and then it changes. The best but I, player on this team, I agree changes. with you in the sense of history. History, yes. When when has the center been the best player on the team, and the team has won it all? Okay, for sure. History proves it wrong. Does that mean it can't be done? No. You know, it, it just means every team that wins the championship, outside of again, probably the team I just mentioned, the Raptors, has multiple All Stars. So it just means. Your all-star has to have a, com- a complementary skill set. Well, we happen to build our team around an all-star that's complementary skill set is the cars that he drives in the parking lot to the game. A little disrespectful to his game, but yeah, it's accurate in terms of how much we hate him, so I'll take it. Yeah, I, I get it. I, you're, not, you're not off on that. and I don't, I'm not saying he isn't going to win a championship. I'm not saying he can't win with the center. I'm just saying, yes, to your point, if you want to phrase it that way, I think we are saying the same thing in that breath. You need a multiple all-stars, and we really, in reality, picked the wrong all-star. You have Jimmy Butler on this team, we're fine. Embiid is oh, man, so much better than he I was. I really wish we had Jimmy Butler. Yeah. I think that's one Embiid. of the biggest myths. I mean, there are so many misses, and that's the problem. That is the ultimate, to me, the process, which I am a firm believer is a good course of action to a team, especially in the NBA, that can find themselves in purgatory all the time. I think the process of just completely tanking and rebuilding is a good remodel for a team that actually cares about winning. You just have to pick the right people. And, and it's so it, – it just, it, it just makes every move so glaring. You know, it's just you know, so easy to look back on something like the process and hyper analyze every move. And there's always going to be great moves like picking Embiid third overall when he wasn't going to play 
for his rookie year, his second year, but it also makes the bad moves that that equally glaring. You know, it's kind of like the I'm the I'm equal to you on your stance on Howie, where you're the guy that supports him, even though the glaring moves are out there that advocate against him. The people will always look at uh, Markel Butts or Futz or whatever his name is as a terrible move, especially when we could have Tatum, but that's because of something like, the, like when you're doing a process, that means every move you make to your roster is a huge move and you cannot yeah. hit 10 out of 10. And honestly, if you hit three or four out of 10, you're good. You don't even need the to draft, hit at a high percentage. The draft is a crapshoot in a lot of ways too, especially in the NBA. And even if you're that high, I mean, it's even Joel, look, it's a roll of the dice that worked out. Like the guy didn't play for two full seasons. Who knew he was going to turn into this? Like that was a risk and it worked out for us. You know, the thing that I don't understand at this point, and it's, we've talked about this before and I'm not casting blame on Joe here necessarily. Cause I don't know. I just don't really understand it. Like how, how do so many superstars move around in this league and nobody's banging their fists on the table saying, I want to play with Joe Embiid. Like how is Dame Lillard sitting out there in Portland right now? Not being like, I just want to go win. My God, there's the perfect situation for me to go win in Philadelphia. How does James Harden last year not look at it and say, you know what? I'm the perfect complement to what the Sixers have going on in Philadelphia. I'm demanding my way there. How does Kevin Durant, when he's deciding to go to Brooklyn, not say, hey, I don't want to work. I don't want to go play with a guy who thinks the earth's flat in Kyrie. I'd rather go play with a guy who wants to be one of the greats of all time in Joel Embiid. Like, how do we consistently miss on that? That's something I don't understand because it means the type my, of guy, and we're a big market too. Like he's the type of guy that should bring somebody here. You can go Kawhi, my, you can even go LeBron, you can go any of these guys. Like how do they not want to play with? Him? My theory on that, and this is strictly just a theory, is it's there are two factors that come into play with that. A, the relationships that exist amongst players. B, the dynamic of what is known as player empowerment. So what I mean by that is, A, people don't necessarily go to the best situation because you give these guys too much credit in terms of being guys that want to go to winning situations. At the end of the day, they determine their own winning situations based off the friends they have, based off relationships. So Embiid is not best friends with these guys in the league the way you look at, you know, LeBron is with Carmelo, you, like, you know, his ability to call a Dwayne Wade and say, let's go play in Miami type of deal or the way that Kevin Durant can call Kyrie Irving because of their history of U.S. Olympic teams and all these things and be able to say, let's go play. So their, their decision-making is based off relationships, not based off evaluating the history and the front office of a team like Brooklyn. They hired Steve Nash off the street. So their decision was not, let's go there. It's, hey, that's a cool market. And hey, my boy's going to play there and I like playing with my boy and we're confident we can play together. So yes, Embiid lacks in that area, but you can't place blame on him for lacking in that area because that would require him, that would require you to create a, a, a level of responsibility on him that is not something he's being paid for, which is going out and recruiting. If that's the case, put him in the front office while he's in the team, make him a player coach or something like that. Secondary is player empowerment where these guys feel like, you know, they run the game, and when they see people getting booed in Philly, it, it, they're not mentally tough enough to say, I'm going to go to Philly and defy the odds of what they've created there. There are not enough guys in today's world that, that say, I don't care, I'm a winner. 
So, and that will only continue to get worse because the, the men- mentality of the younger players continues to get softer and softer and softer and softer and softer, which is another reason why I am so blindly loyal to Embiid, who in his post-game interview last night said, I hope I retire in this city. So who he is and, and the person he is is ideal for our city. I do not blame him whatsoever for not being able to attract players because it's not his job. And you know what? If he was on the U.S. Olympic team and was hanging with these guys, that's why I was kind of hopeful we got Dame after seeing a picture of him and Matisse playing in the Olympics, Australia versus the U.S. last year. You know, like we rely on these guys to do recruiting when that is not a part of their job description. Yeah, I don't disagree. I'm not blaming Embiid. It's just a, it's a curious phenomenon to me. Um, it's just a curious phenomenon to me. And it's one that, again, are we on the precipice of purgatory because if we are that brings up an entire different conversation, right? Like that's, you know, once we get to purgatory mode, I my take on the Sixers, we don't have time for today. And we're not there yet, so I'm not going to share it. Well, let me, let, let, me wrap, let me wrap it up on this because, I, I, you know, I think, I think it's, it's interesting that we have different perspectives, but we have the same hope. We have the same sense of hope. So my question to you is, to make this season the most that this season can be, what needs to happen in your opinion? And be realistic. Don't say we got to trade Ben for a superstar. You know, don't say we got to trade Ben for Dame because where it looks like right now is we're not going to trade Ben for Dame. So what is the realistic scenario that makes you feel good about what we, what we can make happen this season? There's two, there's two realistic scenarios. One is Ben for Jalen Brown or SGA. And two is don't trade Ben at all. If you trade Ben right now, if you trade Ben right now for a marginalized piece that makes you five, 10 wins better and gets you from the first round to the second round, you could jeopardize yourself long term. And all of a sudden you become a perennial five to eight seed in the Eastern Conference of the NBA. You do not flip Ben Simmons unless you get an asset that can actually tangibly make you better, not just this year, for the next call it three years. That's really what an NBA window is. And if you don't get that, your best result this year is waiting for that. It's not, let's take a stab at, you know, I don't even know what one of these, some of these guys are De'Aaron Fox and figure I'm out. I don't, I don't want to do that. We don't need Colin Sexton in here. We don't need Tyrese Halliburton. We we don't need a piece that helps us build. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like I see guys like the Rockets fall apart and I'm like, damn they seem like a perfect candidate based off how much of a shit show they are to take on a Ben Simmons. Unfortunately, the best thing we could get in exchange, which we still couldn't even get is Jalen green. And that doesn't do their team better or our team better because we don't have five years to let Jalen green develop. Yeah. But the, the thunder to your analogy, the thunder are the perfect team to do that with them because you can go get SGA for Ben and give them two first round picks. Then they get a 25-year-old all-star, perennial all-star, potentially best defender in the NBA, Ben Simmons. They're not ready to win yet. They can rebuild him and his mental makeup while they grow, and they get an extra two first-round picks, which you know they love. So is that a realistic scenario? I don't know. We do know they love that. Is Jalen Brown a realistic scenario? I don't know. He just dropped 50 the other night. But they're going to have to do something. Like, that's kind of what we're talking about here. Like, you're looking at teams in this league that legitimately have Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant and um, James Harden on them collectively. Like we're competing with it. We're competing with the Golden State Warriors and they're going to get better. They're going to get Klay Thompson back. 
And we're sitting here talking about, do we trade Matisse Thibel for, yes, trade Matisse Thibel. Do we trade Tyrese yeah. Maxey? Yes, trade Tyrese Maxey. If you can get a superstar type player or a star player, yes, you trade Tyrese Maxey. I love him. I don't want to trade him. But guess what? Ben Simmons just royally effed our city. Literally screwed our season and said, you know what? I'm done. It's the worst thing that could have happened to this town. It really is basketball-wise. So what are you going to do? We can't just sit here and be like, well, we're only trading Ben for, you know, Kevin Durant or Steph. Like, it's not going to happen, to your point. So if we have to get creative and we have to give up one of these younger assets to make that happen, do it. Because I'll tell you what, Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxey, and Matisse Thibel are not good enough to win in this league, period. I don't care how much better Maxey gets. He's not going to reach that level. I don't believe that. Joel Embiid, Lillard wins. So, so that's my interest. Would I like to hold on to those two young guys? Absolutely, man. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm not advocating for getting rid of Tyrese Maxey. But at this point, it's you got, and this is on Daryl Moore, you got to figure out a way to get that guy. And if you can't do it right now, there's going to be more enlightened teams in the offseason. There will be. I don't know who they're going to be. I don't know what it is. And if there's not at that point, man, we are, we're in a world of trouble and you got to find a way to look at, can we flip a contract and sign a free agent? And that's your, that's your new hope. Okay. But in the meantime, go birds. (laughs) In the meantime, go birds, please. Somebody in Philly step up. Please Phillies, Like at least show some sign of having, you know, a brain. Please, we we just need something because there are so many other things. And you know who the biggest uh, beneficiary of all this Ben Simmons shit is, is Tobias Harris. Because at the end of the day, if Ben Simmons never was upset with the city and just played his game, the entire story of this year would be, what can we get for Tobias to make us a championship team? And honestly, we would be right there. Because the team dynamic with Ben the way he was and Embiid the way he is, you know, the, the real miss is Tobias. So my anger will, you know, I will always, you know, feel a certain type of way about Ben because I think Ben is just more than a bad player. I think he's a troubled human that in, that single-handedly has been on a mission to take down this team. But if he was just semi-mentally tough, we could just get rid of freaking Tobias, dude. And we could, yeah. and I would trade Tobias for a bag of, of pork rinds, and we would be okay. My my issue also, though, with this whole thing is there's other holes that need to be filled. There are, and the bench needs to be better. We need more. But it's an off open time in the league. It's a time of the league where there are no Miami Heats. You know, it, it, like it, you can win with holes. You know, last year was a chance. The year we lost in Game Seven of the Raptors was a chance. It, it's not it, it's a time in the league where we're not just waiting for the finals to be the warriors again and we're missing that window because of ben which is clouding the perception of how bad tobias is so i'm off that with you know there's more we could talk about we can we can dive deeper specifically into Tobias on a future episode but man it just feels good to be back on the airwaves with you and uh yeah and again uh you know for anybody listening out there it, uh, text the word hat 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 to any of us back to back to back and you will get yourself a free bank statement hat in the mail again text the words hat 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 you can put spaces or not spaces whatever is up to you and you will get yourself a free bank statement hat but dave it's good to talk to you brother i've enjoyed it you too man we will uh we'll be more consistent here in the coming weeks we're looking forward to putting some fun content out we're trying to keep these to 30 40 minutes 
Um, we went a little over <laughs> today because we had some fun. Um, there's, yeah, two, there's, there's two there's uh, hilarious about. disclaimers. There's two hilarious disclaimers that uh, it, it's kind of like where it's like, hey, I'm going to start my diet tomorrow. That's the equivalent of us saying we'll be more consistent. And also we're going to keep it to 30 minutes. You know, it's a, it's a pipe dream, but we'll keep saying it. We'll keep saying Facts. it. Facts. Yeah, we will keep saying it. And you know what? I actually believe the consistency part. I have my doubts, heavy doubts on the length. Because um, I could go another hour right now. I really could. But we'll wait till we have some sponsors before we start doing two hour long shows. If anyone knows how to do intro music, hit us up. But until then, thank you, Philadelphia. Peace.